Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker here to tell you that the Stat Sheet Podcast is presented by Boxscore Network. Boxscore Network is your one-stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. You want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, or fantasy advice? Well, check out Boxscore Network and follow Boxscore Network on Twitter at Bscore Network for updates. Welcome back in, everybody, to the Stat Sheet Podcast. It has been another fine week of NFL football. We just finished a tremendous Monday nighter. Joined, as always, Simon Short, Ronan Summers. We are here to present to you the absolute best in football analysis of the primetime games. We will do nothing less than that. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Simon, we just watched the Bills and the Broncos. Uh, We got a load to talk about. Get us started. Oh, my God, Ben. I mean, the Bills, you were on this five weeks ago. You said something's wrong with the Bills. They should be scoring more points. What are they doing? And I was like, it's fine. Like Josh Allen always throws interceptions for a month straight. It's no big deal. Oh, the defense is getting hurt. It's no big deal. They'll figure this stuff out. This game can be summed up in what happened in the last seven seconds of this entire football game. And in in case you missed it, what happened in the last seven seconds was the uh, Denver Broncos are driving down the field to try and get the go-ahead field goal, uh, and they they go on a ten-play drive, uh, fifty-seven yards. They do it in you know under two minutes, and they end up lining up for a forty-one-yard field goal attempt by Will Lutz, and it's no good. Wide right, it looks like the Bills are gonna scrape by. By the skin of not even their own teeth, the skin of the Broncos' teeth with a victory. (laughs) Uh, And what happens instead? A penalty. 12 defensive men on the field. They shoot themselves in the foot yet again. And, and, I mean, uh, we'll we'll get to this, but the Broncos, this was the second time they executed a run-the-field-goal team out on the field without having a timeout or a stoppage in play or anything like that. So kudos to them. Again, encapsulated the entire game. The Broncos were clean all game, but uh, like uh, the the Broncos are clearly far less talented than the Buffalo Bills. The Bills showed that on their couple touchdown drives that they had, where it's just like when we do the thing correctly, we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. And the Broncos, no matter how many chances they got, could barely put up enough points to score despite winning the turnover battle in this one or uh, put up enough points to win the game despite winning the turnover battle. And it's all encapsulated in this last play where it's like they get it all the way down to the end. They get in field goal range, and they miss the field goal by two feet. But because the Bills couldn't do anything cleanly, anything correctly in this game, the Broncos get another chance to hit a much easier 36-yarder, and the Broncos win this game. Uh, ben, we're going to dive into this thing a little bit more on both sides. I'm sure I can't wait to hear yours and Ronan's thoughts, but those are my first thoughts of the game. Everything boiled down to those last seven seconds. Really told you everything you needed to know from this entire game on Monday Night Football. Yeah, and, and listen, without even diving into the game much for just a second here, I just as an observer, emotionally, I'm starting to feel the same way about the Bills as I feel about the Chargers. It's like, dang, Gumma, I know they're in there. I know that potential for greatness, I think, is somewhere in there. The talent seems obvious. The greatness at quarterback, if you will, 
it seems to be there and yet it just doesn't always come all the way out. It's very frustrating. I'm sure it's frustrating for fans. It's frustrating for us who aren't even fans of these two teams to watch these two teams, the Bills and the Chargers I'm talking about, kind of do this for the past couple of seasons. The Chargers have been doing this for quite a while now. <laughs> they've been they've gone through two different coaching regimes doing this kind of stuff, two different quarterbacks doing this kind of stuff. But the Bills now the past two years, man, you're like, they got to do better than this, Ronan. No, absolutely. And, you know, that that final drive that Simon just noted on, the plays before that even helped sum it up even more. Because so 40, 40 seconds left. No, I'm sorry, 47 seconds left. Denver gets into field goal range after a six-yard pass to tight end, tight end Troutman, right? Timeout. 40 seconds left. Russell Wilson gets sacked. The only thing that they can't do, I believe the commentators even said right before the ball is snapped, the only thing that Wilson can't do is get sacked, and then right on cue he gets Mm -hmm. sacked. Loss of six, they have to burn another one. Third and ten, drop back, heave it down the field. It's underthrown to Jerry Judy, who was wide open, pass interference. Gives uh, Denver the first down, way better field goal position. So, I I mean – they kept shooting themselves in the foot all game long, whether it was Josh Allen's interceptions or that last drive just in general uh, with the 12th man on the field. They kept shooting themselves in the foot all game long. But I don't want to discredit Russell Wilson, though, who had a pretty statistically a very good game, 24 of 29, only five incompletions, 193 yards for two touchdowns. That touchdown to Cortland Sutton, that is the Russell Wilson that Denver traded for. That is exactly what they were looking for, rolling out of the pocket, making a play happen, using a little bit of his magic, and uh, the snag by Portland to, I mean, the toe-drag swag was on point there. Um, Very, very nice night from Wilson and Sutton, Ben. Yeah, and I'm going to add to the Buffalo frustration here because we've, we've talked about this recipe for several weeks now. The Buffalo Bills ran the ball very well tonight. I mean, James Cook, 12 for 109. Latavius Murray, 9 for 68. They were able to limit, quote-unquote, Josh Allen's carries to four. I mean, you know, that's the recipe. And yet, two picks by Allen and grand total of 22 points for the Bills. Simon? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the Bills went a quarter and a half without really running the ball. Um, they, they, start the, they start the game with a fumble on James Cook's first – uh, handoff on the first offensive play by the Bills. James Cook fumbles the ball, and, and then the, they made it very clear on the broadcast that then he was basically benched for the next 16 plays. They go through the next couple drives, interception, punt, punt. James Cook gets back in the game. Four straight plays to him, and then and four straight runs in total uh, and with him and Latavius Murray uh, for the bills on the fifth drive. So they don't get the running game going until the fifth drive, which is something that the three of us for weeks and weeks and weeks have been lamenting them for because every time they seem to get it going, they don't really capitalize on it because then I I believe it was the, the third, the drive just before that they had a three and out and on first down, they run for five yards. It's like, dude, do that again, do the thing. And two straight incompletions, and then they have to punt the ball. Um, this team is better when it runs the football. The Chiefs learned this last year with Isaiah Pacheco and that rebuilt offensive line. The Bills made the same investments with, with Osiris Torrance, Connor McGovern, James Cook. I don't have to keep 
talking about it every week, but we will. And and when it works, like the proof is in the pudding. Uh, their efficiency metrics, we talked about it last week, have been going down, but overall it's still there. So now if they have figured that out, they just can't go away from it now. Just because they lost this game and, and things didn't work out, it wasn't because they were running the ball instead of passing the ball that they didn't win this game. They lost this game because they lose the turnover battle four to one. They lose the time of possession by like 1.5, I think, or something like that. Uh, and um, just, I mean, just the turnovers and, and yeah, the Teron Johnson uh, pass interference is such a, such a bummer of a play. Cause he was the, one of the only guys consistently making plays for that defense. He had the forced fumble on Cortland Sutton. Um, I got on here a few weeks ago and said that, I was more worried about this defense than this offense. And yeah, you don't want to really give up 24 points to the Denver Broncos. But you know what? The Broncos have proven that they're just one of these average NFL teams with a, an average NFL offense that is low ceiling but high floor. And it just depends on how their O-line and how their quarterback are playing that day. And and on this day, the O-line was getting the push just enough of a push that they needed they had an effective ground game not a not a highly effective one but they got what they needed 122 yards on the ground um russell wilson was able to scoot around you know ronan mentioned it he was just making good plays he was moving extremely well in the pocket and you know for for all the punts that they had all the drives that they didn't execute uh, they're just able to chug along and and do what they needed to do because this bill's team yeah just like can't can't get out of their way we keep saying it shoot themselves in the foot get out of their own way like whatever idiom you want to put in there we're going to keep saying because that's that's what this game came down to and it's why we wanted to you know we had these three primetime games and we'll just uh, peek behind the curtain for the listeners here They're kind of kind of duds of games and we knew that last week but you, we were like you know what there's there's stuff we can find and that's interesting that we can look into and for this one it was like hey how's sean payton doing with these broncos and are the Bills ever going to get themselves together? And and right now, Sean Payton and the Broncos looks like a way cleaner operation. And that's not where we thought we were going to be five, six years ago uh, this season, Ben. No, it's not. And I'll stay on the Broncos here for just a second and Sean Payton because for the first three weeks of the season, they looked absolutely dreadful. Matter of fact, you can make the case they were the worst team in football. Mm-hmm. But now they've got not just three wins in a row, but right before that was the Chiefs game, which was 19-8, to in which really they they didn't have a chance to win, but they kept it a lot closer than people maybe thought it was going to be. Lost to the Jets, but then the win to the against the Bears right before that. So really, you look at the last five or six weeks, it looks closer to the Broncos team than a lot of people, myself included, thought we would see, which wouldn't be uh, not a three-win streak against the Chiefs and the Bills, but an eight- or nine-win team that had a chance to work their way to the playoffs Looks a lot closer to that, so hats off to them. Um, and the Bills, you know, I wouldn't harp on, and most people wouldn't harp on, you know, run-pass ratio or Josh Allen or anything else if they were winning. Wouldn't care. I mean, <laughs> I don't care what you do if you're winning, but when you've got all this talent and when you've got an emerging guy like Dalton Kincaid stepping up as a second option or third option, however you want to count that, and, and when the running game is kicking in and you're still not winning, and when you're five and five, and when you're letting teams like the Broncos hang around and you just kind of choke up the game, we're going to sit here and pick away at it. You know, uh, Ronan, any more feelings on the game? Yeah, you know, you've mentioned the run game. Um, it, it was relieving, right? I, I've been kind of knocking the Bills for the past couple of weeks 
whenever Josh Allen is their leading rusher, and it was nice to see them have having success uh, on the ground without having to send him out there to be their leading rusher. Um, you know, two interceptions, two fumbles lost for the Bills tonight. Uh, that allowed the Broncos to have 71 plays to the Bills 52. You go into the playoffs against one of these playoff teams and let them have 71 plays, they're not only going to put up 300 total yards, right? Um, I, I don't think Pat, you have Patrick Mahomes at, at quarterback for 71 plays. There's going to be some points on the board. So, you know, you can't knock on the defense too much because there, there were four turnovers from the offense. Uh, so Denver was put into good situations. Uh, all in all, Buffalo probably made do, truthfully. So uh, just honestly, my, my last kind of note or more of a question is you know you mentioned how the Broncos beat the Chiefs recently they held them to nine points and then you know now tonight the Bills lose and we're kind of you know borderline losing our minds so what differentiates you know tonight's loss uh, from the Bills from the Chiefs Uh, Ben I'll go ahead and start with you yeah well I guess for me because you're talking about the the Broncos win over both of those teams yeah 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 well I I'll state the obvious. The, the the Chiefs win the win over the Chiefs was just a lot cleaner. I mean, listen, Denver, even if they had lost this game, and maybe they should have lost this game, in all honesty, you could still say, hey, they went on the road at night in prime time against what we think is a good team and just went toe-to-toe with them in a great boxing match. And oh well, they came out on the short end of the stick. Man, I mean, you know, you're sitting here four and five now instead of three and six. That's a big difference for Denver, man. I mean, they're in a cluster now. I'm not exactly answering your question, Ronan, but I they're in a cluster now here. So you've basically got seven teams with winning records in the AFC. And right behind that, you have this massive cluster of four and fives and five and fives. And Denver Broncos are sitting right there. <laughs> so are the Raiders. I mean, who would have thunk it, you know? And yet here they are. And if you're a Buffalo in Cincinnati, man, you better not look in that rearview mirror because there are teams sitting there that are waiting to take advantage of easy schedules. Not all of them, but, you know, some easy schedules mixed in and just momentum. Simon? I think Denver has proven themselves squarely to be one of those teams that isn't good enough to beat good teams on their own, but they are absolutely good enough to take advantage if good teams are playing down to them. So Kansas City in, in that game before the Denver bye week last week, Patrick Mahomes is playing with the flu. The entire offense is completely discombobulated in that one, and the Broncos are good enough to take advantage of that. And this one, the Bills, four turnovers, um, possessing the ball 0% of the time. The, the Broncos are good enough to, hey, we'll score when we need to. We're going to keep the ball for 37 minutes, and we're just going to make sure that you don't get a chance to get in rhythm. Um, and by the way, like they, they said this on the broadcast as well, you know, the the Broncos, their defensive shortcomings this year have been against the run. So if you're not a team that's going to spam the run against them, their defense can look pretty good. I mean, Pat Sertan, Justin Simmons, Fabian Moreau has become the second outside corner. He had that interception. He's been playing well these couple of weeks. We've talked about how good the the Broncos defensive backs were. Ben took them, I think, with like the first pick in our position group draft way back before the season started. So if you're going to sit there and just try to drop back and throw on them, 
uh, and your offense isn't completely humming, it's not going to be an easy day at the offense. But but in, in summation, to answer your question, Ronan, the Broncos are just one of those teams that's good enough to take advantage if you give them the opportunity. Doesn't mean they're going to go on a run here if teams start, you know, kind of uh, tightening the leash up, up on them a little bit. But, hey, they can be right there if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, ben, what else do you want to hit next? Anything else on this game? I'm done with this game. Uh, still emotionally here on the on the Bills. It's I mean, insane. It's absolutely. I really insane. would like for this to be about the Broncos, but with that ending, it all of a sudden just goes right back to being all about the Bills because they basically should have won this game, even though they trailed for a healthy amount of it. So let's. Can we quickly look at the Bills' upcoming schedule? What they're dealing let's with? Because I mean, I I'm with you, Ben. Like, hey, all all credit goes to the Broncos, but we know who the Broncos are. Um, the Bills oh, have to no. play the Jets again next week. Um, then they play the Eagles. Then they go on their bye. Then they play the Chiefs and Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins. So, I mean, uh, like, just take what you would expect, right? Take take away knowing what we know from this, how the season has gone. Just what you would expect. They're playing one, two teams that are better than them, two teams that are on par with them. Um and what one, two teams that they should be better than? So you think like maybe three and three just by like logic, not really thinking about like what's going to happen in the actual game, and then you add in what's been going on with this team the last four weeks. Uh, this is tough, man. The Dolphins are the Dolphins are winning this division. They're they're right there. The wild card in the AFC is still tough. I mean, Ben, when you. Uh, I actually, Ronan, I'll go to you first. Ronan, when you look at the schedule coming up, how are you feeling about the Bills right now, man? Uh, well, I want to ask you guys a question. Oh. Um, what do you guys think is more likely? The Bills make it through this gauntlet of you know their final stretch with one or less losses, or do they miss the playoffs? Well, which is more likely, Simon? Which is more likely, one or less losses or missing a play? I mean, missing the playoffs. It's got to be missing the playoffs. I mean, it's the Jets. You, uh, we'll get to this in Sunday Night Football, but Sunday Night Football, NBC, I need my check because they took my stat. They put up <laughs> on the board Jets against top quarterbacks, and they throw they threw those stats. I know that Salah had his gauntlet comment a few weeks ago, whatever, but still, I want my check. Um uh, Josh Allen's going to throw four interceptions against the Jets next week. I don't know what to tell you. And then he's got to play the Eagles and then the Chiefs and then the Cowboys. And the Bills are the new Chargers. And the Chargers are still competing with the Lions uh, in that awesome game on Sunday. Um, the Patriots, they might not play with a quarterback in week 17. I don't know what they're going to look like. Bill Belichick might be the fullback. And then the Dolphins in, in a game where the Dolphins probably want to stamp the season. So, yeah, if I had to pick one of those two. I'd definitely say the Bills missed the playoffs. Ben, wouldn't you uh, answer Ronan's question on on one loss or uh, miss the playoffs? And then just what are you thinking when you see this slate? Yeah, I out of those two choices, it's more likely that they missed the playoffs. Uh, probably the good news for the Bills here, by the way, that's a tough schedule. Good news for the Bills is that there's a lot of teams at the top of the NFL who have a similar tough schedule because they're all playing each other. So the Eagles have a tough schedule. The 49ers mm-hmm. are doing the flip side. The Chiefs are part of a tough schedule that several teams are playing. Um, uh, the Ravens, of course, just in that division alone have a tough schedule. So uh, that's that's the one consolation for Buffalo is that they're not the only good team 
that's fighting a lot of other good teams. It's going to be rough and tumble here for the next few weeks. A lot of fun for us, not so much fun for these teams having to go through it. So, all right, um, that is Denver over Buffalo. Heck of a game, and uh, we'll keep an eye on both teams moving forward as always. What's up, everyone? I'm here to tell you about the Simon Short Podcast. Every Thursday, I deep dive topics related to the NFL, pro hoops, pop culture, and more. Be sure to subscribe to the Simon Short Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Connor. I'm Billy. And I'm Austin. And we're the host of the Tricky Takes Podcast presented by the Box Score Network. We talk about all things sports ranging from golf, baseball, football, NBA, and all college sports. Come give us a listen and make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Tricky Takes. And that's tricky with two eyes. Let's get to some news. I'm going to pull out three of them. And Ronan, I'll give you first dibs on it. So Kyler Murray actually showed up and actually played in a game. And the Cardinals actually won, <laughs> of all things. Matt Jones over in New England country, unfortunately, benched. And Jason Pierre-Paul uh, for Josina Anderson. Maybe signing, looks like he is signing with the Saints. You know, as the uh, respective NFC West guy, I've got to talk about Kyler because, uh, as you said, he's back and he looked pretty good. I mean, it wasn't perfect. He was 19 of 32, 249 yards. He didn't throw a touchdown. He did throw a pick, uh, but he also rushed for 33 yards, six times, uh, one touchdown. So a 25 to 23 win over Atlanta, who, you know, preseason, I was all over their defense. In hindsight, might have been a little bit too high on him, but all in all, it's a respective defense. Not an easy task to go out there, um, you know, off of an injury, a pretty gruesome, uh, not fun to rehab from injury. Uh, and, you know, it's not like Arizona's cast is all that great around him. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's the NFL, right? But, uh, I mean, everybody was kind of singing Josh Dobbs' praise, and, you know, he's out the door now, but – Dobbs made it work. Kyler seemingly will continue to make it work. Simon, I believe you referenced uh, at the maybe at the beginning or end of the episode last week, whenever we were talking about Kyler, how, uh, you know, whatever team he's on, he's going to be good come next season. And this game is a nice step into that direction, Ben. You know, the only thing I, by the way, hats off to Kyler Murray for getting back in and looking pretty good and especially on the running. You see a, a couple of the cuts he made. You don't really expect that. I, I fully expected him to just stay in the pocket and throw the football and maybe have one or two runs. And while he didn't rack up a lot of great rushing yards, you saw a couple of cuts, and you're like, wow, okay, that's that looks pretty good. So, But, listen, what's, what sits through my mind <laughs> is the movie Major League from 1989 where the uh, ownership fully is intending for this team to just suck, and the team decides, hey, we're not going to suck. <laughs> I mean, that's what's going through my head here for the Arizona Cardinals. Listen, Jonathan Gannon, I, he can quote the part of that all he wants. He doesn't want to be bad, okay? He he, he doesn't want to have a 1-15, 1-16 on his resume. Neither of those players, and Kyler Murray didn't want to sit out this whole season. So here he is, Simon. I mean, he's back, and they've already won a game with him. This is the part of the podcast where I – completely admit my wrongdoings and my uh complete incorrectness because i believe in um 
accountability uh, and and we as a podcast believe in accountability uh i will absolutely toot my own own horn when i am right and i will absolutely admit complete and utter failure when i am wrong and, and i was in this situation although only partly because i did say he'd be good and look at that he's still good but draft day 2023 kyler murray says he wants paris johnson i say buddy you're never gonna play behind paris johnson and i <laughs> sung that tune all the way up through our podcast last week when he was activated on the roster and i was like he ain't really gonna play right they're gonna sit up the rest of this it there's i think i said there's no way he's gonna play and not only did he play like you said ronan he played well like you said ben he was running around doing all the normal kyler murray things you wouldn't have expected him to be hurt now i'm gonna hold on to is this just an audition to try and trade him this offseason? But I believe that less and less every single day. Because like you said, Ben, Jonathan Gannon uh, feels like he wants to be as good as possible right now, which is the case for every head coach. But it feels like he kind of knows who he is and who he's working for. And he's got to make this thing happen now. So if they got the quarterback in, They've got uh, the the defense has been surprisingly okay in certain aspects. They have a couple pieces. They're going to have a couple good draft picks. They can start to rebuild this thing pretty quickly if they hold on to Kyler. And if they don't, they they kind of add to the capital and see what happens. But um, good good on Kyler and uh, bad on bad on Simon. Uh, I'll hit the next one here. The next quarterback uh, movement uh, potentially Mac Jones benched. Uh, I did not watch this game live. I cannot. Um, I cannot say that I was terribly excited to watch an early morning Sunday Germany Patriots Colts game, which uh, I stand by that decision. I feel very good about it. But I did during halftime here tonight watch uh, the sequence in which Mac Jones was benched for Bailey Zappi. Uh, which was very hilarious. It came completely out of left field. You know, the they're going into the two minute warning. Uh, the Colts are have the ball. It's fourth down. They're they're about to punt, and we come out of the two minute warning, and Rich Eisen is just like, well, you know, uh, it does look like the Colts are going to punt here, and uh, it was interesting. Bailey Zappi stood up and started warming up during the entire two minute warning. Mac Jones went and sat by himself for a couple minutes, and then got up and started talking to people. We'll see what happens here. Completely out of left field. They had no, like, this was not a thing that leading up to the game, it was like, oh, let's see what happens. We've we've seen Bailey Zappi play a little bit this year when game, the game got out of hand, but nothing in a little while. And, and here we are, game on the line, down 10-6, one drive to, to end the game, no timeouts, under the two-minute warning. And we put the backup in, who we cut 11 weeks ago. And put on the practice squad and rolled with one QB on the 53-man roster to start the season for like the first two weeks. It's insane. It's absolutely crazy. I get Mac Jones isn't very good, but guess what? Neither is the rest of your team. What were you going to – what was this going to be? What was this going to prove? You were going to win the game and just prove that Mac Jones was the wrong decision more than we already knew? You were going to lose the game with Bailey Zappi, in which case why didn't you just lose the game with Mac Jones? Uh, it's not cute. I don't get what's going on here. The look on Bill Belichick's face when the game ended on a, what I swear looked like a self-called Bailey Zappi fake spike throw into triple coverage and then look around looking for the penalty on, on the play. It was, I, I have no idea. I have absolutely no, Belichick is in shambles. The Patriots are in shambles. Robert Kraft with his 
Biggie Smalls puffy jacket up in the stadium, just like had <laughs> no idea what he was watching. Um, it's all coming down in New England, Ben. I have no idea what's going on up there. We've never seen this in New England unless you're old enough like me to remember some of the early 90s and then the – I don't remember the 70s, but some of those teams that struggled a lot. We've never seen this in New England. I mean, in decades, literally, Belichick losing, the Patriots looking this bad, weird decisions at the end of games. I mean, just the, the touch seems to be completely gone across the board. Um, and, and this was a game in which the Patriots ran for a ton of yardage. This was a game in which we finally saw a Colts offense get strangled by a Patriots defense, and that Colts offense hasn't been strangled yet this year. Um, the, the recipe was here for a win, and they just <laughs> – I don't know what's going on here. Ronan, anything? You know, I, I'm in the same boat, Ben. This is just kind of a, an interesting crapshoot, tr- truthfully. Um, you know, I not to get us off the rails, but I, I've been hearing some, like, uh, I listen to uh, sports talk radio close to I'm um, close to Nashville, right? So uh, get a lot of Titans talk, and uh, the talk of the town, I guess, has been whether Vrabel is going to be there next next year or not. And uh, I think it would be an interesting scenario for Hunt to call uh, oh, call over to Tennessee and see what a trade would look like. Get Vrabel into uh, New England if Belichick ends up maybe retiring from coaching and taking a GM position. Uh, but you know, not 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 to put my tinfoil hat on, but it, that that would be a fun fun scenario there in New England that might bring a little bit more juice. But I, I don't know because ever since Brady left, it, it's just kind of been stagnant. Um, obviously, it's a it's a Bill Belichick defense, so they've been stout still. But offensively, it there's just been nothing. Maybe Josh McDaniels comes back to New England oh, uh, God, next off season with Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> oh no. That's Do they perfect. all run it back? What That's wide perfect. receiver can we get? <laughs> run it who's, back. Who's still out here? Um, I can't even think of who their wide receivers were at that point. Who's running around still? That's great, man. That's Maybe call up Edelman. <laughs> call Edelman, see what he's doing. Call Gronk. Um, wow. I had that thought a couple days ago, and I was like, should I say that out loud anywhere? And I was like, I can't say it out loud anywhere. We just saw what was happening with the Raiders. But Call Brady. Call Brady. If Belichick's still in charge, man, he doesn't know. I don't know, man. Decisions aren't aren't great. Ben, you were talking about we haven't seen this in a while. Um, And people of a certain age, like, don't know any better for the Patriots right now, right? I'm thinking back to, like, nobody right now remembers – well, not nobody right now. The uh, same thing that you're saying. No one of a certain generation knows that Bill Belichick was once the head coach of the Cleveland Browns and things didn't go well. And then he comes to the Patriots, right? After this season, is Patriot is Belichick going to be like the head coach of the Chargers for like eight years? They win two Super Bowls, and then we're going to have a generation of kids grow up with like Belichick coached the Patriots at one point. Really? Oh wow! Look at his record those years. He was terrible coach there. Just like kids, you got. <laughs> You got no idea. Is that is that what's going to happen after this season? I would actually root for Belichick. I've never rooted for Belichick before, but I've, without a without a great quarterback, which he would have Herbert and with the Chargers, but I would root for him to do it somewhere else. You know, without having Brady, you know, in his six or twenty five Super Bowls, whatever the heck he's got. Rona, no, I'm right there with you. Um, I think uh, if Belichick were to leave and go somewhere else, that that would be I would definitely be rooting for him because. I mean, truthfully, I was always a – I was pretty much a Brady hater, and then he moves to Tampa, and then it's like, oh, wait, 
he's kind of he's kind of cool and he's really good at football and uh that's that's whenever i started accepting the fact that he's football greatness and he's funny when he's not around belichick good gosh i mean he's actually a little entertaining cracks a smile every once in a while <laughs> definitely definitely <laughs> Simon, um, I'm going to bundle some things here. So the Jason Pierre-Paul signing with the Saints, feel free to touch it or not. And then that just segues right into the Saints quarterback Derek Carr, injury time, uh, shoulder concussion week to week. Saints cornerback Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Thomas also week to week. Yeah, so the Saints may have a lot going on here. Jason Pierre-Paul, let, let's keep in mind what veteran – signings of players who didn't go to training camp and aren't in football shape what that looks like uh here in 2023 Leonard Fournette still hasn't played for the Bills yet so just to give you a little bit of an idea um but Pierre Paul's a great fit for the Saints so if they manage to kind of sneak into the playoffs or, or stay in the hunt I think he could be effective for them he had like nine and a half sacks for the Ravens last year something that I didn't really realize how effective he was he's a good fit for New Orleans though so if he's able to play and they're still competitive by the time the end of the season rolls around I think he could make a pretty decent impact from an injury standpoint keep in mind the Saints have a bye week next week so all indications are Derek Carr is going to be fine coming out of the bye week that shoulder I'm thinking seems like a, just a continuation of that AC joint injury that he had early on in the year um how about like shout out to just like dual injuries that these quarterbacks are sustaining like everyone seems to like get multiple things i don't know if it's like a new pr thing where it's like by the way we have to tell everybody that we hurt all over all the time uh which is true it makes sense like i get it i i sh these should just be like saints quarterback Derek carr whole body hurts and like <laughs> that would be fine by me i think that in makes pain. sense yeah, in pain, everything's bad. Um, Lattimore and Thomas seem like they're going to be more long-term injuries. Lattimore is a, it seems like a high ankle sprain, I think is what Ian Rappaport uh, reported. Michael Thomas, something with the knee. I don't know if he he banged it against a construction truck or something um, last week, but both guys seem like they could be out a little bit longer uh, beyond their bye week. So we'll just have to continue to monitor that as the Saints continue to try to battle for the NFC South. Uh, ben? <laughs> Gotta watch out for those construction trucks. <laughs> Bricks, too. You know what I, you know what I wish? Uh, something you mentioned earlier. You know those video games where maybe a wrestling video game or maybe a, a, like a Mortal Kombat game where, where there's a little diagram of the body down below mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. shows all the different mm -hmm. damage levels. I think every NFL player, not for their sake, but just for our entertainment, should have to go through like an x-ray machine portal or something and show all the different pain areas they have every week. Everyone's just bright How red. How fun would that be? <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> just the sun. It's just it's, it's just burning sun. hot intensity. Yeah, it's it's not good. It, everyone hurts. Everyone hurts. New injury report, uh, just everybody on the roster for every team it hurts. Yes, that's it. All right, uh, Simon, I'm going to keep it here with you because it's uh, uh, your team. Steelers linebacker Quan Alexander, Achilles, season, and then Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson, ankle to be determined. Yeah, other than the Saints, the entire AFC North is hurt, and that's pretty much the only uh, major injuries coming out of the week. So Steelers linebacker Quan Alexander, we'll start with him. Season ender with the Achilles. This is going to be bad, tough for the Steelers because they had finally been getting some good off-ball linebacker play uh, this year. We talked about the Cole Holcomb season-ending knee injury a couple of weeks ago. 
they kind of had this like three-headed rotational monster um, of Holcomb, Alexander, and Landon Roberts. All guys kind of had their roles. All guys kind of had their niches that that they worked in. Uh, uh, and unfortunately for the Steelers, Holcomb and Alexander were more their sub-package pass coverage guys. Landon Roberts is more of a downhill run stuffer. Um, so, and the Steelers don't really have anybody like Alexander or Holcomb with the athleticism and the pass coverage capabilities. And that's something that's really hurt the Steelers and, and you know, for many years now. So if they're going to continue to not have that, we'll see what kind of moves they can make along the fringes here from a roster standpoint, but it's, it's nobody that's going to be able to kind of take those spots. So Steelers had been winning with their defense, had been winning with creating turnovers, splash plays. The linebackers were a big part of that. It's going to be hard for the Steelers to continue to compete. Uh, I think if, if they don't somehow luck into a, a really good player there. Um, but again, uh, everything they've done this season has been a bit of a surprise. So we'll, we'll just continue to see what happens. And then the Browns and Sean Watson, he hurts his ankle uh, in the late in the second quarter of last week's game against the Ravens, he comes out for a play. He ends up playing the whole second half. Um, and but they, the, again, Rappaport tweeted uh, or reported that they're going to be very, very cautious with this after everything that happened with the shoulder injury, the in and the out. Is he playing? Is he not? Um, they're going to be very, very careful with this ankle injury. And he could be missing next week's game against the Steelers, but it's all to be determined. We'll have to see what the practice report looks like here for this week on Watson, Ben. Yeah, okay. So what immediately struck my mind is that we won't see Watson for five weeks because <laughs> we've already seen that here with the Browns. I mean, I, who knows, but uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye out. That The Steelers thing does bother me because you mentioned that's two linebackers. So, man, you can get over one linebacker. It, it's a huge inconvenience, but you can kind of sort of figure your way through it. Two linebackers out for the season – that's tough. Still talent on both ends of that defense, the backside, the front side, but still that's a tough work through. Ronan, uh, the Ravens, two injuries, cornerback Marlon Humphrey, calf strain day-to-day, tackle Ronnie Stanley, knee day-to-day, and the Bengals. Defensive end, Trey Hendrickson, hyperextended knee, short-term injury looks like, and then Bengals wide receiver, I think everybody knows about that, T. Higgins, hamstring, unlikely to play Thursday night. Yeah, it seems like most of these guys, uh, the Ravens and Bengals meet on Thursday night. So it seems like most of these guys will probably not be out there on the field, starting with Marlon Humphrey. Uh, He had what initially a lot of people were tweeting out. It was a potential Achilles injury, uh, which was very worrisome for the Ravens because they they need his help back there in that secondary. Uh, But luckily, it seems like it's a calf strain. Like you said, he's day to day. So, you know, there's that chance he comes out there on Thursday, but with the quick turnaround for a Thursday night game, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't rush him out there. Uh, Same with Ronnie Stanley, uh, knee injury day to day, though he might have a little bit higher likeliness of playing on Thursday, uh, just given the, the situation. And then Bengals defensive end Trey Hendrickson, he's been a very big part of that defensive front for uh, Cincinnati this season. So, you know, trying to keep Lamar Jackson corralled is a big must. So it'd be nice for him to be out there on the field. Hyperextended knee doesn't seem like he'll be out there. Um, at least, you know, hopefully if he is out there, he's ready and he's not being just rushed out there. Uh, and then T Higgins, big threat for Joe Burrow might not be out there. Uh, offense has kind of been up and down this season. So both teams are going to be banged up on Thursday, but 
I believe they're going to come out ready to play, Ben. Simon, I want to ask you, you, you can talk about the Bengals injury or not, but um, if you're if you're the Bengals, how big do you think Thursday night is? Because not only are you playing the Ravens, who quite honestly have played better than Cincinnati this year, but the Bengals at 5-4, and four, if they were to lose, that drops them to 5-5. Five and five. It would be last in the division, but it would also put you right back in that massive cluster of teams I talked about earlier in the AFC. But even to compound that, they would be 1-5 and five in the conference, and they would be 0-3 in the division, which starts to get into all those tiebreakers. So, I mean, there's a very real chance they lose, but let's say you're 5-5 five and five coming out of that. I mean, they've got to go on a pretty big streak after that to even make the playoffs, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it's going to be huge for them. Uh, they, if they come out of this game on Thursday at 5-5, five and five, they're going to – be they're still going to be fourth in the AFC North, you know, 11 weeks into the season because one of, you know, you're talking about the Ravens having eight wins. One of Pittsburgh and Cleveland is going to have seven wins. Yeah, they're still going to have six. So they're they're going to be pretty firmly still in last place by a full game. They will still have both Steeler games um, late in the season to try and make up for that. But that is a lot of room to make up. And you talk about within the AFC itself, giving up that game to Houston. I mean, we're going to talk about Houston and CJ Stroud later, but Houston's making a run at this thing, guys. And, and they're just, if if guy, other guys start to get hurt and, and, you know, Higgins and, you know, Chase was able to play in this one. Um, Higgins was not. Higgins has been battling injuries all season long. If, if that were to continue, or let's say this Trey Hendrickson, uh, injury sustains and lasts a little bit longer. Let's just say somebody else gets hurt, right? Like this this team that never has really fully gotten it going, right? They they had a, a good two game stretch there, um, where everything was clicking. And and I don't want to act like they got the doors blown off of them. I mean, Burrow had three hundred forty seven passing yards uh, against Houston, but yeah, I mean it's a big deal, Ben, because the AFC North it's really tight and if you're coming in fourth in there and it looks like some other wild card afc teams are emerging those conference records and divisional records are a big big deal so you're you're totally right on that if they fall too far behind here it's going to be too hard for them to make up yeah emotionally it's not a place i'd want to be now if everybody's healthy cincinnati we know can put together six game winning streaks even against Good teams and tough schedules, but it's not – you don't really want to be at the bottom of the division 0-3 and still banged up coming off of that. So uh, we'll keep an eye on Cincinnati moving forward. We have two amazing games to talk about, Sunday night football and Thursday night football. Just fantastic games we're going to get into, and we'll do it right after this break. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker. And I'm Robertson Vire, and we are the Odds on Favorite, presented by Boxcore Network. Every week, we analyze NFL point spreads, over-unders, props, futures, and much more. Follow us on Twitter, at Odds on Favorite, and listen on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello everybody, Brandon Tim here, telling you all to listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise a podcast giving you the insights to help you win your fantasy football leagues. Together, we will look at everything fantasy football, from the platforms we use to navigating weekly player projections. Listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a Box Score Network podcast. We'll see you at the next episode. All 
All right, welcome back in, everybody. As promised, we've got two fascinating games to get into, starting with Sunday Night Football. The Raiders beat the Jets 16-12. to um, Of course, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek there, Ronan, but uh, give me your first impulse on that game, man. Uh, you know, it, it it obviously wasn't pretty. Um, it, it was a Jets game, right? And so far this season, Jets defenses look good. So, uh, and, you know, the Raiders offense hasn't necessarily been explosive. So going into this game, it, it was seemingly going to be low scoring. Um, neither team was able to eclipse 20 points. So I think we were right on the mark. Um, and, Josh Jacobs is honestly my biggest takeaway from this game. Um, he he continues to eat on touches. Uh, on Sunday night, he had 27 carries for a buck 16, no touchdowns. Um, and then in the passing game, he had two receptions for 11 yards. That That's honestly pretty much the brightest spot offensively I can really give you, Ben. Um, it, it was kind of slow-paced. Um, it was a Raiders and Jets primetime game, truthfully. Yeah, not not a good game. I mean, listen, this was ugly. But still, hats off to the Raiders here, picking up a win. And, and we mentioned it a couple times now. They're a part of that cluster of teams that's just waiting in the AFC for one team to fall, whether it's Buffalo, Cincinnati, somebody else. And then all of a sudden, they're the team that's getting a, a surprise playoff appearance. Simon? Yeah, the uh, I know I was I came in here last week all real excited about who the Raiders are and 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 I, that I was going to be I'm still on the train, but the Raiders are who we thought they were. You know, they get the win, uh, and the morale is high after last week. But it was clear last week's win was the the new coach bump, right? Um, that said, there's still stuff to glean from these two games with Antonio Pierce as the head coach. Rona mentioned Josh Jacobs and his involvement. The offense in the first eight games averaged just 70 rushing yards per game. They didn't break 100 one time in those first eight games under Josh McDaniels. In two games with Pierce at head coach, they've run for 125 and 148 yards total, respectively. Jacobs has 26 and 27 carries in those two games. His season highs, uh, one and two, before that he was averaging about 16 to 17 carries a game. So Pierce just walked in and was like, I'm going to make this thing simple. Our best player is Josh Jacobs. We're going to run the ball with Josh Jacobs, and we're going to see what happens. Um, this has paid off because, you know, they've been able to control time of possession a, a little bit better, more consistently, I'd say. They've actually been 50-50 in time of possession uh, with teams for the most part this season. Um but we're, we're just seeing that efficiency on offense really take place. They're keeping the first downs for their opponents down defensively as well. I, I assume the offense just having a little more rhythm is helping with that, but also Antonio Pierce and what he brings as a defensive mind, I'm sure is making an impact at, there as well. Uh, another thing I liked from Pierce, I saw him, what I was hoping was going to be a, a like, offensive quality control coach down on the field that he was conversing with there. There was a play early in the game where there was a clear like fourth, fourth down field goal or go for it decision. And he he kind of conversed with another coach on it. It was special teams coordinator, Tom McMahon. So it was probably like a, is this within our range kind of deal? But just the idea that he was thinking about, Hey, should we go for it or not go for it? Something we never saw McDaniels do correctly. I like seeing him think about those things. So, all in all, you know, and I mean, God, the Jets, I mean, we don't need to open up that can of worms again. Salah continuing to say Zach Wilson's playing well is just sickening stuff. But 
uh, from the Raiders' perspective, this team is who we thought they were, but we're seeing some good things, some positive trends with Antonio Pierce as the head coach for the last two weeks, Ben. I agree. Let me stay on Pierce for a second because I, I think there's two thoughts. Number one is interim coach, no chance, forget it. You know, you get what you get. You kick him out at the end of the season. And then the other thought is, oh, my gosh, they're 2-0. and oh, Give this guy a three-year contract right now. Well, you know, if we could weigh it out a little bit of balance here, um, if you were the ownership, I've got an idea in my mind, but if you were ownership even before Pierce had these two games, what are you thinking and what are you telling Pierce about his chances of actually getting to be head coach next year? What's the bar? Where do you set it? Do you set it? Or do you just tell him, hey, do your best. We'll figure this thing out in the offseason. Simon? It depends how many – it starts at the top. It depends how many football decisions um, Mark De- or, or ownership is making themselves, right? Um if they're planning on just kind of clearing house and trading Crosby and trading Devontae Adams and just completely selling off all the players, you go to Pierce and you say, hey, you know, uh, we're going to clean house with everything. We'd love to offer you the defensive coordinator position or let you see kind of what's out there. That's not what I would do. This team made that mistake two years ago with Rich Bisaccia and letting him go when this team clearly needed a culture reset with everything that happened with John Gruden. Um, And look how it turned out for them because a dysfunctional roster, dysfunctional team um, in in the AFC West where you're going to have to play against Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and now apparently Sean Payton for the next however many years. That's not going to attract the best coaches that are out there. Um, so you're going to ha- like this is a guy that wants to be here. Max Crosby wants to be there. I don't know. I still don't think you keep Devonte Adams long term, but it, this you you made the mistake two years ago. Don't do it again. Keep Antonio Pierce. If at the very least you just reset this culture and for three four years you're an average team, but you're continuing to build up some talent and and build up some credibility around the league. You wait out Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert a little bit, and then you decide you need to go for the next guy. Yeah, do that. But I mean, you're not going to get a better, better chance at making your team just look better from a presentation standpoint. And the football aspect, this guy's going to bring a real culture for what a real team needs to start out with, at least foundationally, I think, Ben. Yeah, I'll go ahead and set my bear, and Rona, you can kick in at them too. What I would be doing, this is with most interims, but especially here with the Raiders who have had so much dysfunction, if I've got Pierce coming in, I just tell him straight up, if you can get a winning record the rest of the way, um, I mean your own personal record, if you finish with a winning record on the season, I'll go ahead and just give you another year or two contract straight up, make it a two-year deal. If by some miracle you make the playoffs, here's your three-year contract, and we're moving on with you. Um, you know, I'm not going to keep him around just because it feels good. You know, if he goes three and six the rest of the way or four and five, you know, I, I'm going to tell him straight up, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to consider you. but We're looking at all our, all our other options, too. That would be my thing, though. I mean, if if everybody likes him and it's clear they do, <laughs> like it's clear they do. And the energy of the building is good and the vibe of the building is good. And it hasn't really been the Raiders consistently for quite a while. So if the vibe is good and he's winning, that's the important part. Yep. Then I keep him. And if he's not winning, then I start to look elsewhere. For me, it's just as simple as that. Ronan, how about you? 
I, I completely agree with you guys. And going into this season, you know, we all knew that this Raiders team wasn't necessarily the most talented, right? So, I, I mean, the past two weeks, I, at least I believe they, he's gotten the most out of his team. Um, sir, at least as more than McDaniels has, uh, that's for sure. So I, I think, Ben, like you said, if he has a winning record this season, uh, all the guys in the locker room still like him. Uh, it, it seems like the vibe in the locker room is very high right now. Um, Devontae Adams is dancing around and all that. So I, I, I'm right there with you guys. I say keep him for the next year because, Simon, like you said, it's not an attractive job. Um, there's a lot going on. They've got a guy in-house that wants to be there and help. Uh, I say roll with him because the guys like him. They're winning games. Uh, and I don't know how many better options there are going to be, Ben. Yeah, I'm the same way. Simon, I'm going to let you get back in here on the game here in just a second. But real quick, if if they're having a losing – listen, the schedule coming up for the Raiders is tough. The next four weeks, five weeks, and then it softens back up toward the end of the year. So – you know, listen, if, they're, if they finish with three or four wins under Pierce's watch, then, hey, all bets are all, you know, I've got two or three other guys that I definitely want to bring in here if you're not winning. So, again, it all has to come back to winning. It can't just be about, hey, we like you. It has to be about winning for me. But, does Simon, anything else here on the Jets and the Raiders game itself? The only thing that matters, man, is primetime Bob. Robert Spillane does it again in primetime. Interception, <laughs> returns it for 25 yards. Uh, he also had a sack in this game, seven tackles, a tackle for loss. I mean, my guy's everywhere. My guy's everywhere. Primetime Bob, you 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 keep rolling, man. I, do the Raiders play any more primetime games? This is all I care about now. This is the storyline of the NFL season. Uh, let's pull up the Raiders' schedule. I, they can't yeah. have any more primetime games, right? One they more. can't do it. One more. Oh, my God, they do. It's a Thursday, Thursday night game. So Thursday you know. against the Chargers. Oh, he's getting another pick. He's getting another pick. Um. <laughs> That's happening. All right. Be on the lookout, guys. Uh, 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 stat sheet Thursdays. Thursday, December 14th, primetime Bob interception. Uh, be ready for it. All right. Keep an eye out. Um, another game that we had, Simon, I'm going to start this one off with you. The Bears beat the Panthers on Thursday night football, 16-13, to 13, a very similar score to the, to the, to the Sunday night football. But uh, Chicago – uh, pulls out the win against uh, a Panthers team that just can't seem to scrap one together. Yeah, you know, uh, again, another game that from the outside is a snooze fest, and it was a snooze fest, but there's there's stuff that we need to check in on and look at. The The number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft was is the quarterback of the team that played in this game and lost. Um but we haven't talked about him in weeks other than in context to say, wow, CJ Stroud is playing really, really well. Uh, so it was good for us to check in. We haven't really talked about Young. I, I think they had a Thursday night game in like week three or something like that. So it's good to check in. Um, some notes I had on on Young and the offense. It's still the same offense, uh, the spread offense with a good bit of shotgun, read, point and shoot for Young, uh, utilize his skill set. He wasn't accurate on on throws that I wouldn't have necessarily expected, and I kind of went back and looked at the passing chart um, on Next Gen Stats to kind of confirm what I was thinking. And guys, I legitimately think it's because he's too short. Here, here's where he was accurate last night or Thursday night in the flats, meaning to the outside beyond the outside shoulder of his offensive tackles, and right over the middle when his center would slide over one direction or the other. You know where he wasn't accurate. Between the hashes and the numbers, 
which is exactly where he has two offensive linemen standing on either side at all times. And on those throws, what he was missing was he would hit them when he would loft the ball, get a little air under it, um, make it drop right back into the breadbasket to the receiver, which is obviously a dangerous throw. But anytime it was a little bit further or he had to put a little zip on it, those balls were sailing. So uh, he's going to have to go to Kyler Murray school, Russell Wilson school about how to drop those things in there a little bit more accurately because the the inaccuracy in that game was was pretty tough for Young. Still a little fidgety in the pocket. Um, the footwork is weird. The moving in the pocket isn't the best. Stems from the early offensive line problems. And Ben, you could probably speak to this more, but I think his footwork was always a little not bad. It's just so relaxed because he's such a playmaker that it's not the the perfect like three step drop that you would expect. It's kind of just a point and shoot. Um, my last stuff on Young here. His best throw was his forty four yard throw in the first quarter. Uh, over to the left sideline, had good timing, arm strength, and placement over there. So he can still sling it when he needs to. But the very next play, he rolls left, gets in trouble, throws to the opposite flat, barely a complete plat- pass, and nearly picked off, and very identical to one of the pick sixes that he had last week. So that just kind of shows where Young is at. It's kind of the same thing it's been all season until they shore up the O-line. Um and and get a few more weapons in here and maybe vary the offense a little bit. The offense is a little stagnant. It's going to be tough going for Young uh, in this Panthers offense, Ben. Yeah, and listen, I, I still think there's a chance, I hope, I believe, that Bryce Young can be a decent NFL quarterback. But when you can get him off his spot, and that has always been the case, when you can get him off of his spot in any way, completion percentage goes down. What has surprised me about Bryce Young is we saw a lot of speed at the edges and being able to make throws at the line of scrimmage out in the flat, like running out into space and making plays or running for first downs when he was in college. That hasn't shown up much here at the NFL level. And part of that, I'm sure, is his lack of familiarity with everything. But the other part of it is the NFL linebackers and defensive backs are just so much faster at the NFL level than they are in college. So sometimes you can get that edge in college, and unless you're elite speed, you can't get it in the NFL. So that has surprised me. But um, Ronan, thoughts on this game? You know, just to kind of add on to the Bryce Young conversation, I'm trying not, uh, with all my might, to kind of use this season to hold it against Bryce Young. Um, You know, that might be a, a little bit of, Bryce Young defender of me uh, as I went into this season saying, oh, yeah, he's the QB, one of that rookie class. Uh, Meanwhile, C.J. Stroud is almost making a playoff appearance at this point. Um, But, I mean, the guy, the guy's top target is Adam Thielen, right? And he's getting, Thielen's getting 10 targets a game, uh, almost consistently. Uh, On Thursday night, they rushed 16 times for 43 yards. That's 2.7 a clip. Uh, with a nine-yard uh, rush as their longest. So you take that nine-yard rush away, uh, that makes the average much, much worse. So he's not having the most help, right? Not, not to, it, He hasn't looked perfect. And like Simon said, he's been in, inaccurate. And his height has definitely been an issue, or at least seemingly been an issue uh, with him not being able to hit uh, certain parts of the field. Um, the Bears, on the other hand, they look they look pretty good, all things considered. Uh, Tyson Badgett, who you know had rose from Division Two football, right? Division mm-hmm. Two, uh, 
Uh, he went 20 of 33 for a buck 62. He also r- rushed for 12 yards. Um, you know, he's he's played backup quarterback football. Um, and he's won two games now for the Bears. So, you know, take that as you will as Justin Fields. How many wins does he have throughout his career? Not to slight Fields, but legit question. I think it's like two or three, right? It's a great question. I have no idea. I'm so something to put into perspective as the Bears have, uh, you know, two seemingly top five picks in next year's draft. Um, this was also a big win for Chicago because, yes, you know, they get the win. So their draft, their draft pick won't be all that great. But they beat the Panthers, who they have their draft pick from uh, the number one overall trade, you know, a little transaction there. So Carolina stays at one and eight, probably you know, if things keep going the way they are going to end up with that number one overall pick. Chicago's going to have to make a decision at some point, guys. I'm excited. We can maybe get into Justin Fields conversation uh, a little bit here, but I'm excited to see Justin Fields, you know, maybe make a, a case for why the, the bears should keep him in this last stretch of the season, because, you know, as we get there, you know, yes, the bears could use those resources towards, you know, literally anywhere at this point, but they could also go and get the quarterback of their dreams uh, in this draft. Simon? Six wins for Justin Fields uh, okay. in, his, in his career. So uh, put some put some respect on his name, yeah. Ronan Summers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, Justin then again, Fields Tyson here. Badgett has a third of that. So, Listen. you know, Listen. the Division two quarterback. So, like, you know. You said here and, and, and read off 20 for 30, 362 yards and 12 rushing yards. Like it was, that's it was what he something did. to get excited. We're I mean, it is what he cap. did, but it's not, that's not good. Uh, yeah, let's get into the fields conversation because Ben and I have been proponents. We've been talking the last couple of weeks and we talked in the, that two week hot stretch for Justin Fields of the Bears have two top five picks. We're in the camp of. Offensive line, go get Ola Fashinu from Penn State. Uh, I probably said his name wrong. I apologize. And, and Marvin Harrison Jr. Of, and, uh, and and run this thing back. Let Fields go. Um, so because I keep saying that, I wanted to put up or shut up, and I wanted to look back and check on the Bears' offensive alignment. So I had to find something else to get me excited when the Bears had the ball th- this week. So I did what I tend to do in that situation. I, I scouted the offensive alignment, did a little check-in. Um, and here's where I'm at because I've been saying, go get the Penn State guy, put him at left tackle. Braxton Jones was a nice story as a fifth round pick starting left tackle last season, but he's kind of just a guy. And I still feel that way. Braxton Jones is fine. He uses his hands and athleticism well in pass protection, good sealer and down blocker on the outside runs. The, the Bears were most successful Thursday night running when they ran to the left side, running to the outside of Braxton Jones who would kind of seal down his guy into uh, Cody Whitehair. Um, Decent play strength overall, but does not have a good anchor, which makes me worried about moving him inside potentially, because in my head it was like you take the rookie at left tackle, you move Braxton Jones to left guard, and you're good to go. I don't know if I see Jones as a guard because of that, Um, but he might become your swing tackle. Cody Whitehair and Lucas Patrick are just Blah, they're just dudes. Some uh, Cody Whitehair still continues to be a guy where I'm just like, how does he keep getting starts for this team? I know he was supposed to start at center this year and had to play guard because of the injuries again, but he's just on the ground all the time. I sent Ben a clip. Maybe I'll tweet this uh, image out 
of a play late in the game Thursday against the Panthers. And I, was, I said, I wanted to check in on how the Bears offensive line is doing. And it's Lucas Patrick gets knocked over into Tevin Jenkins, who then falls over. And Cody Whitehair <laughs> is just like eight yards ahead of where the whole action is, just not blocking anybody, just kind of looking around. And she's like, that's how the Bears interior <laughs> offensive line is playing right now. Uh, I'll, I'll tweet that out for, for listeners. But uh, Tevin Jenkins, everyone was really excited when he got kicked into guard late last season. He is playing well. It's utilizing his strengths. He's got good uh, – good. Uh, He's got a good latch, and he's got a good play strength in the run game. The aggressiveness is there. Still doesn't move his feet well enough in pass protection, so that gets him in trouble a lot. But Darnell Wright, 10th overall pick at right tackle, is a dude. Um, Great strength, gets out on the move, can readjust whenever, good hands and feet. Um, So, But the point is the Bears still might have some work to do on that line. Let's say Jenkins can be your fifth starter, right? You still got to upgrade two other spots to really make this a, a – really good group i would say um looking at the free agents right now because the bears still have a lot of money to, to spend in free agency kevin zeitler for the ravens he's a little older but he's still playing all right connor williams has done well for the dolphins moving to center i might kick him back to guard um it's kind of rough out there after that jonah williams i like jonah williams that might be interesting but you probably won't get him to not play left tackle it gets kind of rough after that, guys. This isn't a great offensive line. Free agent class uh, last year was definitely better. So I don't know about the Bears, man. Maybe it's not the fix I was thinking it was going to be to just plug in the left tackle and and kind of move along there. Um, but I think I'm still in the Justin Fields corner. I really hope he gets back next week. Um, he was getting close to playing this week. If it wasn't a Thursday game, he might have played. So hopefully we can see Fields over the last seven, eight games, whatever it is, whatever it is and, and see what happens. Ben, what are your thoughts on on Fields and, and the Bears and what they could maybe do with those picks? I'll be quick here, but I, I let me stay on the Fields thing quickly. I, I believe in Fields like you do, okay? I'm, I'm more inclined by far to blame the coaching staff than I am Fields, although I will admit it doesn't look like Fields is going to be a top five accuracy kind of guy, you know, cut you to pieces. But still, I think – if the right coaching staff had him and he had had the weapons and the O-line all along that you could see a whole lot more of his bright spots and a whole lot fewer of his blemishes. But be that as it may, it would be very tough for the Bears two years in a row to pass up on what looks to be very good quarterbacks up there at the top of the drafts. They did it last year. It would be very hard for them to do, to do that again next year. That would just be very difficult. I would be tempted to pass it up and, you know, do what you said, Simon, because these other guys going to be tough for the Bears. I don't – I'm starting to get to the point where the last season and a half the Bears front office is doing a better job than the Bears coaching staff because you mm-hmm. see them, they're working on the offensive line. They're bringing in weapons. The defense has gotten better. The talent on the defense is better. They made the trade for the defensive end to kind of bolster what was a weak spot. The running game uh, – the, the defense against the running game is better. The offensive line here, while it's still a very much work in progress, does not suck as bad as it did the past two or three seasons. Um, there are pieces there, and you can see them getting a little bit better. And you're right, they still need at least two more good starting offensive linemen, Simon. But now I'm starting to look back at that coaching staff again, and I just don't feel great about this coaching staff. I'm not saying that I would cut them all loose at the end of the year, but I'm not in love with it. And if you do cut them loose, you know, Simon, you talked about last week, Matt Eberflus is just now kind of getting the defense he wants now. 
Well, if you bring in the next guy, does he think he's got to tear this all apart and build it his way? Well, I don't like that either. Now you're just in a bad cycle. So if they keep the staff, okay, but it's not been great. If they let go of the staff, you really need to bring in a guy who kind of philosophically sees things the same way because you can't be ripping this defense and this offensive line back apart all over again. You just spent the last two or three years trying to build it back up. So that's where I'm at. That's a lot of blah, blah, blah. I hope they keep fields. We'll see what else they do with it. So, Simon, anything else here on the Bears and the Panthers? Yeah, update. Uh, some I, I get a little further down. You see, you see the mid round guards that have been drafted on over the cap that are going to be available. Kevin Dobson, Dotson, Robert Hunt, um, David Edwards. That'd be another fun flyer. Uh, let's see, Ezra Cleveland, who just got traded to the Jaguars. I'm sure they want to re-sign him, but still. Um, Damian Lewis, the Seahawks, Jonah Jackson, the Lions, a pro bowler. Um, overpay one of Lloyd Cushenberry, my guy. I love that guy. Overpay one of them. Overpay one of them, uh, like you did with Nate Davis this year. Draft the rookie out of Penn State, uh, and, and then I'd be very interested. So that's where I'm at. There's your there's your guard update, your mid tier guard update available in free agency, everybody. No, oh, and uh, I like that. I, I I don't like overpaying, but I'm okay with the team that has tons of cap space and not a whole lot of talent overpaying strategically and you know intellectually. I like that. And of course, bringing in the Penn State tackle would be yeah, yeah, yeah right up our alley, Simon. Yeah, For, <laughs> like first overall, don't even mess with the trade downs. I you you guys know we'll get into the draft stuff yeah. later. Yeah. I love the draft process. Go get the extra picks. But don't just don't even mess around, Chicago. You've done this. You, you've messed up long enough. Don't even mess. Right. First overall pick, Penn State left hat or Marvin Harrison. That's probably more likely to be the one you need to go with early. Fifth fifth overall pick. If you yep. miss the Penn State guy, I guess Joe Alt from Notre Dame it would be fine. But don't mess around. Do the right thing. Yeah, I yeah exactly. Get that top pick. Make it whoever you want. Trade the second pick or whoever you end up with. Whatever. So, all right. Uh, I have burning questions, but they're not mine tonight. They actually one belongs to Simon and one belongs to Ronan. So I'm going to let Ronan do his first, and we'll talk about it, and then we'll let Simon do his. Ronan? Yeah, guys. So the Lions and Chargers matched up in a uh, battle of the heavyweights on Sunday, and it went down to the wire. The Lions ended up picking up the win on a game-winning field goal. by They ended up winning three by three points, 41-38. to 38. Um, just wanted to show some love here to the uh, the Lions. Jared Goff, 23 of 33 for 333 yards and two touchdowns. That is a lot of threes that I just said. Try to keep up with me here. I'm trying to keep up with myself. Uh, David Montgomery, 12 carries, 116 yards, a touchdown. Jameer Gibbs, 14 carries, 77 yards and two touchdowns. We're finally seeing that, that uh, you know, pocket ace, Jameer Gibbs finally getting used. Uh, we kind of were saying that all beginning of the season, just that they're going to use them late season. They're just, they're going to use them late season. And they are. Um, so that's relieving because it would have been pretty infuriating if the two top running backs of this past draft class just don't get used at all this season. Uh, but luckily the Lions are starting to use Gibbs. Uh, Amandra St. Brown had an awesome game, eight receptions for a buck 56 and a touchdown. And the Lions go up to seven and two guys. So my question to you is, is this Lions team legit among this NFC? You know, uh, there's there's a few pretty pretty solid teams, but I, I'll I'll ask you a little bit more of a formal question. Where do you rank them uh, in this NFC? You don't have to give me you know your entire NFC rankings, but roughly where do you put them at? 
I'll hit this first. Um, Okay, Simon, I'll hit this to you. I would have to put this is tough. They're they're oh wow, I forgot about the 49ers too. They they had that nice bounce back. I'll say they're right. I mean, they're right there. That I think the Eagles are kind of on a plane of their own. I think the 49ers are kind of right there after that. And then it's the Lions and the Cowboys, and it's just which end do you trust most? The Lions are one of five teams in the NFL right now that are top 10 in both offensive and defensive DVOA. And when you can do that, you're kind of in that true like Super Bowl contender tier. The defense is doing more than enough, more than we expected, and it's an elite offense as we did expect. Um, If I had to pick between – I wouldn't put them above San Fran or Philadelphia, but if I had to take them or Dallas in like a playoff matchup, I would probably actually pick Detroit right now. And that's even – I'm a pretty big Dallas believer, but if I have to pick – between the elite offense and very good defense versus the very good offense and elite defense, I'm going to pick the offense in today's game. So I'm going to, I'll give Detroit top three status in the NFC. Ben, what say you? Hey, y'all are going to hate me. And so is everybody listening, man. I, I love the Lions. All right. I really do, man. They're seven and two. Campbell, how do you not root for Campbell? I love rooting for the Lions, but I'm just not there yet on this being a legit Super Bowl team. I'm just not. Emotionally, I'm not. You look at their wins this year, they've got a lot of really good wins, including the Chiefs' win to start the season. But, man, they haven't played the toughest schedule. We watched them get roasted by the Ravens a few weeks ago. That Ravens loss didn't change what I thought about the Lions, but didn't it didn't change anything about what I thought about the Lions, you know? This team just doesn't feel like a team that would beat the Eagles and the 49ers or beat the Cowboys and the 49ers or beat the Cowboys and the Eagles in a playoff matchup because they got to win two of those games, right? So – it does feel like a team that's going to roll through the regular season and be like 13-4 and four or something. That it does feel like. But when you look at golf at quarterback, who's done better under Ben Johnson's tutelage? There's no question about it. I like the pieces. I like where they're heading. I'm just not there yet on this being a heavyweight team that can go and ground and pound with teams like the Ravens, 49ers, Eagles, or even to a degree the Cowboys. Could I see them beating the Cowboys in a playoff game? Yeah, maybe you know, on their best day. But I could see the Cowboys winning that, too. I mean, that's that's kind of a toss-up. And then the Lions would have to go and beat somebody else that I actually think is significantly better than them the next week. So I, that's just where I'm at. Part of that's emotional. It's not analytic so much. Um, I'm just not there yet. Ronan? I really like both of you guys' answers. I'm right in that same boat, that three to four spot. Um, you know, I, I think the best conversation or the best comparison would, would be Dallas. Um, you know, and that might be, uh, do they play this year or do they, they don't meet this year, do they? Oh, wait, let's get, oh, I'm looking at the Houston schedule. I don't think so. I'll look no. Up. Oh, yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, week, what is, what is 17? 17 is second to the last now, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Week Dallas. 17. Yep. Prime time. Oh Summer my God. Saturday. That is going to be a treat. That is going to be a treat. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'd, I'd slot the Lions right now, right there at that three or four spot. Probably right now that three spot. Just, I mean, record-wise, they're better than the Cowboys. Uh, and then I think I, they have a little bit more momentum. But uh, that does it for me. I don't know if you guys have any more comments on the Lions, but I'll go ahead and kick it to you, Simon. Yeah, so my question to you guys, and it's funny because 
It's an extension on a conversation Ronan and I had over on the Simon Short podcast last week, which you should still go check out. We did our midseason awards, and it's is CJ Stroud an MVP candidate? This is well has kind of been in the ether after the uh, big win over the Bucks last week, um, and then after this past week uh, with with the comeback victory over the Bengals. Adam Schefter tweets CJ Stroud, welcome to the MVP conversation, or whatever he says. Uh, Stroud is currently at like 30 to one. He's like seventh in odds right now. Or, uh, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Seventh tied with Dak Prescott, Christian McCaffrey and Brock Purdy. Um, so he's not completely in the inner circle yet, but the Texans have a route to winning the division, making the playoffs. Uh, they have a nice schedule coming up. So I guess not, not so because we know, well, I won't put any parameters on it. Ben. Is C.J. Stroud or could C.J. Stroud be in the MVP conversation this year, let, let alone offensive rookie of the year? That's sealed up. He's got that. Can he be in the MVP conversation this season? Uh, for me, if I had a vote, the answer is yes. Now, will the voters actually do that, him being a rookie and all, and him not – he's at 5-4 and four right now, I think, right, not 7-2 mm-hmm. and two or whatever. Would the voters do that? Maybe not. But for me, yeah, I would, I would vote for him. Matter of fact, at the moment, he's one of three guys that I would vote for. And if, if it stopped right now, which it didn't, long season to go. But if I, he's one of three guys I would vote for right now. And I didn't say it last week. I almost came out hot takey last week. I forget what we were talking about, Texans or Stroud. And I almost came out last week and said, hey, I think Stroud could, might, could be an actual MVP candidate, not rookie of the year. Listen, some people want to box him in. That's fine. He's a rookie and the rookie shouldn't win MVP awards. That's fine. I respect that completely. And some people want to say, well, he's on, he's on a five and four team. That's fine. I get that. If you if you want somebody to have a better winning record, if you want them to be their MVP, I get that. But listen, his supporting cast is decent, but not great. There's he, there, there's no jealousy or envy from other teams around the league about the Texans wide receivers or the Texans offensive line. His touchdown to interception ratio is insane. Not just for a rookie, but for anybody. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow would be happy to have that touchdown to interception ratio. His yardage has been phenomenal. He's had like two down games, but he's had a 306 yardage game, a 384 yardage game, a 356 yardage game, a 470 yardage game. I mean, the yardage has been insane. And so for me, yeah, I would vote for him. He's got to keep it up, but he would have my vote. Ronan? I completely agree. Um, Funny enough, going into uh, our episode, Simon, of the Simon Short podcast, I originally I had put uh, CJ Stroud as my offensive player of the year. And the reason being is, as you guys have mentioned, you know, there's kind of a stigma of giving the a rookie the MVP award. But I mean, if he let's say he continues these numbers. Right. And the Texans, I think the Texans would have to get like the five seed, maybe even would have to win uh, their conference, which is entirely possible right now. Yep, I'll have um, more on that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, but I, I think if they're able to pull off something like that, I, I don't. If they get like the sixth or the sneak in with the seventh seed, uh, I think you know voters would kind of make the case against it. But once he, let's say he wins their division, it, it's hard. It's hard to root against or hard to vote against him. Um, the reason I put him at offensive player of the year as well, I. I you know, as I said on the uh, Simon Short podcast, quarterback play hasn't been all that great this year. 
Um, so, you know, and the MVP going to a guy like Christian McCaffrey is still pretty possible. You just named uh, the, the numbers, the betting odds. But I, I think it would be tough for Stroud to win MVP just in general. But I think he definitely can get Offensive Player of the Year, especially if, well, let's say, like a skill position guy wins MVP uh, because it kind of it justifies it in a way, right? Uh, let's say Stroud goes up, wins the MVP. Yeah, there might be a little bit of hate around that, but him getting the Offensive Player of the Year award, just comparing his numbers to you know the fields, um, a guy like Tyreek, I think you could still make the case for Stroud. So Stroud for MVP is much more likely uh, or much more possible than I think anyone would have imagined going into the season, which this is such a fun time to uh, just be a football fan. Honestly, you know, this Texans team is seeing a quick turnaround like this with a young quarterback with so much potential and there's so much juice going on in that locker room, not actual juice, just, you know, the vibes are high and everything's going good. Um, It's great to see. And I'm really hoping that Stroud can continue this on and make this even harder for these voters. Yeah. um, On the, on the episode we did last week, I gave zero credence to it. I was just like, it's just not going to happen. But like Ronan said, quarterback plays down this year. If that can kind of continues, someone's going to have to separate themselves from the pack. Statistically, Stroud is on his way to doing that for sure. Ben listed off all the yardage. Um, here, Here's the, the, the Texans' remaining schedule. And remember, the Jags just got the doors blown off them by the 49ers last, this past week. The Texans play the Cardinals. The Jaguars, the Broncos, the Jets, the Titans, the Browns, the Titans, and the Colts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They could go like five and three, go 10 and seven on the year. Uh, They play two divisional games to end the season. If those those games matter in terms of like winning the division – yeah, so so much of the MVP and the awards is like what happens in the last three to four weeks, right? That's where the narrative comes in. That's when the voting happens. If Stroud wins the like beats the Browns in that defense and then wins the division in those last couple of weeks, yeah, man, it could absolutely happen. Now, I think more likely than not, one of these other bigger name quarterbacks is going to separate themselves before that really ends up happening. And we're still counting on a lot in terms of the Texans winning those games. But it's way more likely than I gave it credence to last week. Um, ben, is there anything else here from the NFL this week that you want to hit? I have one more thing, but it's not from the NFL. I'm going to su- right. actually, Simon. I'm going to surprise you with it, but I'm right. going to save it because I know you have a segment coming up, and I'm a little curious to see what it is. And I, I don't want to steal your thunder if it happens to be the same thing. So I'm going to save my thing for last after your segment, Simon. Ben, if you and I are going to do the same random non-football thing here at the end, we have to retire the podcast because <laughs> we do this way too much with the at least football stuff where where you'll say something on a podcast and I'll slack you about I've been thinking that vice versa. We say it on the podcast. If the thing completely random thing that I've not told you guys I'm doing is the same thing that you're going to say, the podcast is over. We will not record another episode. All right, everybody, everybody I agree? Agree. Yeah. I don't yeah. think okay. it is. But I want—I didn't want to steal your thunder because you would 
You would just walk off the set. And clip. Okay. All right. Here we go. We're introducing a new segment this week. You know, we have the barbecue. We have Ben's burning questions. Here's your PSA for the week. It's the public Simon announcement. This is going to be a every so often segment where there's something that I just want to say to you all and, and you all listening and, and Ben and Ronan here. And if it sparks a conversation, cool. We'll have a nutty conversation at the end of the episode. And if not, then that's fine. I got it off my chest. Sometimes it's going to be NFL related. Sometimes it's not. This week it is not going to be. I was traveling this weekend. Everybody's going to be traveling over the next six weeks or so for holidays to and fro various places. So I have some driving rules I want to remind everybody of as we get out yes. uh, on the highways. Here is how the highways them. work, people. I would like you. Know, I feel like Peter Griffin. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> people that don't know how highways work. So let me hit you with some sophomore year driver's education classes. Here's how the driving lanes work. If you're not on a highway and there and it's two lanes, you're just driving down your 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 town, whatever, and it's two lanes. There's not a fast lane and a slow lane. Get over it. It's about where you're turning. Keep in mind, if you have a red light coming up, maybe stay out of the right lane if you're not turning right. Let's make things easy for everybody. Keep traffic moving. Now you're getting on the highway. It's a two-lane highway on, on your side, right? You, you have a travel lane, which is your right lane, and the left lane is for passing. It's not a fast lane and a slow lane. Everyone drives on the right side. If the person in front of you is going too slow for you, you get in the left, you go pie them, you go back on the right. If traffic is merging from the merge lane, everybody get out of the way into the left lane, let that car merge over, and then get back in the right lane. All right, that one's done. Three-lane highway. This is the one everyone messes up the most. Right lane is your speed limit drivers. If it's a 55-mile-an-hour road and you want to drive 55 miles an hour, you get in the right lane. Left lane is your faster drivers. Let's say 5 to 10 miles an hour faster. The middle lane is a passing lane. The middle lane is a passing lane, everybody. There's not a fast, faster, and slow lane on a three-lane highway. You have your speed limit, you have your fast, and you have your passing lane. So let's say you're going 60 in a 55. You will travel in the right lane until you come up on someone going too slow. You will then go to the middle lane, which is open because it's not a travel lane, and you will pass that person. Let's say you're going 70 in a 55 and you're in the left lane and someone's going 64 miles an hour in the left lane. Don't run that person off the road until they go into what you think is the semi-fast lane, which is the middle lane. It's not. That middle lane is there for you to easily go around them. Uh, the right lane drivers, if someone's merging over, get into the middle lane. Let that car merge over and then get back in the right lane once they've merged. And I don't even blame the left lane fast drivers for this that much. Don't sit in the middle lane, dummies. Get out of the way. Uh, if you're in a four lane highway, if you're one of the, if you get in these high fluting areas and you've got all these fancy highways, it's basically the same rule. The middle two lanes are passing lanes. The left one is for the left hand drivers, not left handed, uh, but the left side fast people. The right hand middle side is for the right lane slower drivers to pass in. Keep the middle lanes open for passing. That. Is your PSA, your public Simon announcement as we get into holiday travels? Everyone drives safe. Thank you very much. I will now take any questions. Yeah, I, okay. I got to know from both of you, but Simon, first, are you a fast driver? Are you a race car in and out driver? Are you the slow guy? Where, where do you fit in there? It depends on what the speed, it, actually, the most depends on the time of day. If I'm driving late in the day, I'm just going to cruise at 55 in the right hand lane. Stay out of the way of everyone rushing home. Uh, I'm a little sleepy, so I'm not going to be on top of it. 
But man, if I hit my peak mid-morning driving hours, yeah, I'm cruising in the left lane until the cows come home. That's for sure. Rona, how about you? <laughs> you know, it, I'm, it, it just kind of, it, it depends. Um, it, it depends on a lot on uh, whether someone's in my car or not. Um, whenever someone's in my car, I'm definitely a little <laughs> bit safer, uh, a little bit more conscious to, uh, you know, those inside the vehicle in, you know, maybe sometimes outside of the vehicle, maybe a little bit more weary. Um truthfully you know i see the speed limit maybe set the uh the old cruise control five five miles per hour over chill out in the right lane and just coast until i have to start passing people uh, that's typically how i do it yeah all right i love it um simon i'm gonna add to your psa if you don't mind man please truck drivers and 18 wheelers know this i think our average little compact drivers don't if it's holiday or rush hour and there's large clusters of traffic everywhere, because listen, I drive fast. I don't drive stupid fast, but you know, if the speed limit is 70, I might pick it up to 75 and 80. I'm going to, I'm going to, you are not going to go any faster by cutting off people and moving up to the next cluster of 37 cars. All right. So 18 wheelers again, know this, let the traffic breathe. Okay. You're not making any time by being, by being aggressive when there's massive amounts of traffic all up and down the road. Let it breathe. If we all go 60, we're all going a whole heck of a lot faster than if we all cluster together and sit there at 45. So, you know, that's my that's my add-on to Simon's rules. <laughs> it's just it's it's my pet peeve, man. It's my it, oh my God. Burns me up. All right. Ben, was that your random non-football no. thing you were gonna tell? Thank no. goodness. We all can right. keep the podcast going. We can keep it going. All right, everybody. This is my last thing for the evening, and then you guys can shut it down. Um, hats off. Simon, you will appreciate this. Hats off to James Madison University, who hey, is 10-0 in college football. They've got two big games coming up against App State and Coastal Carolina, but they are 10-0, having a phenomenal season. But not only that, my friends – they are three and zero in college basketball. I say that because Simon is uh, a bit of a fan of James Madison for reasons that he can explain if he wants to. <laughs> but, yeah, baby, class of so, class of sixteen. Let's go, JMU. Go Dukes. They started off with a major upset of Michigan State, number four ranked. Then they put together a spectacular come from behind five point double overtime win against Kent State. And then they kind of just ran Howard out of the building here. So they're undefeated in two different sports right now, college football and college basketball. Simon? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great time. It's a great time to be a Duke. Uh, App State game, going to be on college game day. For some reason, the Jonas Brothers are performing. I don't know. <laughs> nice. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't don't know how. I don't, I don't get that. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> App State, college game day, everybody enjoy. Um Sign your write your congressman. Let's get JMU into a bowl game. Their second year in a uh, a, a change of divisions, going to the Sun Belt Conference. Um, so yeah, man, let's let's get the Dukes in a bowl game. So uh, yeah, thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. Yeah, doing absolutely. our part. What's a JM? What's a JMU crowd like? Because I've I've been to App State and I've been to a few others. I've never been to JMU. Buddy, buddy. it's a it's a whole it's a whole deal for about two and a half quarters. And then it's not a whole deal. All, all the all the students, you know, do a do the typical college thing. That's not at a at an SEC school, and they they dip out 
a, a little bit after halftime there and um go and get on with their festivities so it's I'm it's a, a great ride okay. for two and a half quarters I'm so disappointed because I, I mean that that's what high schoolers do, man. They kind of show up. Oh yeah, it's good, a real like, bummer. The first quarter, and they kind of make an appearance and shake hands with everybody, and and then a little after halftime, they check on out because they got dates and stuff. I mean, what you're, the heck? You're telling me I was I was the little guy in the stands who was screaming the whole first half, and then the second half when everybody left and I was by myself, the opposing team could see who I was, and then I was in. <laughs> I was in danger. So that was fun, <laughs> fun story. I haven't told on the podcast before. Um, my freshman year, James Madison is playing Old Dominion, a little a little school called Old Dominion University, whose quarterback went by the name of Taylor Heineke, now uh, NFL mm-hmm. quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, we had heard hype about Heineke, and I think ODU was, was a pretty uh, prominent team that season. I'm like... 40 rows up in the end zone, but, but ODU is like on their five yard line. So I'm like, you know, uh, is back Heineke's back is to us. And I yell like overrated or something stupid that stupid fans say when they're stupid people. Like I was, um, Heineke then throws a 90 yard touchdown pass and just kind of like looks up at the stands and I could just, I could feel the eyeballs, man. I could feel it. And that was part of my journey to knowing to not, yell at players because that's dumb so don't do that don't be me don't be stupid um the middle lane is not a passing lane <laughs> uh Roland, you got anything else before we shut this thing down man you know uh i don't have any any vehicle stories or anything like that um that, that was a fun one though that was a fun one hopefully these uh these primetime games coming up this this coming week are a little bit more entertaining, but uh, you know I, I think we covered a lot of a lot of ground, even though they weren't necessarily that explosive. Then, what I heard was Ronan has stories that he can't repeat on air, but he will yep. someday. Yep, that's what I heard. Ro- Ronan got real quiet when we talked about college kids that's... leaving games at halftime. <laughs> so, don't know. You know, he ask me, ask me in fifteen years. Which ask me again. ask me in like eight years i know we said the podcast is gonna keep rolling buddy but i don't know <laughs> hey you know i i can i can come over for for an invite something like that we're gonna have to go to the retirement home to do it with ben what do you, what do you oh, that's true <laughs> you will how much electronics time are they gonna give you there ben i don't know i'll be busy chasing around all the nurses <laughs> <laughs> all right that does it for us we're out of here on that one thank you all for listening to the statue podcast uh we will always find a reason to hop on the podcast and talk about some nfl football we will do it once again next week so thank you all for being here make sure you're following at stat sheet pod on twitter make sure you're following at b score network make sure you're listening to the other box score network podcasts we really appreciate everybody out there if you have driving thoughts if you have holiday travel thoughts if you have college football uh or ranking thoughts anything like that send us a dm send us a tweet over there at the old twitter uh we appreciate you have a good one talk to you next week